Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses, no more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. So perfect timing. Hello everyone, my name is Yarek Buchholz. I'm the founder of Canada Real Estate Investors Club and I would like to welcome today Madeleine Ficaccio. Is it right? Pronounce right, Madeleine? Yes, it is, Yarek. Perfect. Good job. It's just like the bread. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Thank you very much. And today I would like to have possibility to introduce Madeleine. She is one of not so many successful real estate investors located in Calgary, and I have a privilege to know her personally. So she's been a very, very active investor many, many years. How many years, Madeleine? Uh, we're about 10 years now. 10 years, okay, and you have achieved a yeah. lot. You have achieved a lot of success, especially with the Rain Group, right? So, can you share with me today that you have achieved some some honors today, right? Or yesterday, top ten for 2010? Uh, well, well, I guess I guess for 2010 we we won um, um, play, uh, not Player of the Year, sorry, uh, top player 2010, and and we've won uh, top ten Alberta South um, for three years in a row prior to that, and Renovator of the Year. And, and uh, and plus we've achieved our diamond status there, which is uh, if you've done over a hundred deals. So, yeah. I see. I see. So congratulations. So that's a huge privilege for me, Thank and you. <laughs> and definitely for all all the attendees today. And I see a lot of familiar faces. Thank you very much for joining. Just for your information, uh, I do truly believe that interaction is the very welcomed, and you can ask the questions as long we will go through the presentation. So uh, if you're not familiar with that application, please raise your hand and type it on the chat. And what I'm going to do with Madeleine will follow up with and go through the presentation and I will be monitoring all the questions. And in the middle of the presentations, if you do not mind, I will just uh, ask you to stop it and then follow up with the questions. Uh, is it okay for everybody? Sure, no problem. Perfect. And for your, yeah, for your information also, we are recording the presentation and will be available on canadaric.com website. So you can refer to anybody else or you can review it uh, and follow up with Madeleine later on. That's no problem, okay? So are we ready? Madeleine, it's all yours. Yep, we're ready. Okay, thanks, Yark, for, for the introduction. I appreciate it. And thanks also for inviting me to talk um, today. Mm -hmm. um, as Yark said, my name is Madeline Ficaccio. I'm the owner of the Via Group, Inc., for about five year, or nine years sorry now. Um, I started out with lots of training and specializing in purchasing mostly foreclosures and undervalued properties. We used to purchase them with joint venture partners. We ran out and flipped them, but then I kind of changed my strategy and started selling the contracts to other investors. 
uh, sometimes with a lease option tenant or, or a regular tenant in place. So, so basically, I structured the deals for investors and sold them um, under market and, and kind of turnkey investments here in Canada. Um, the other end of our business was purchasing mostly main floors and basement suites, which graduated eventually to the fourplexes and sixplexes, all with um, joint venture partners. Um, and they funded and qualified on, on the mortgages. Now, when the boom began, of course, foreclosures were no longer to be found. Um, anyone could sell their house for $50,000 more than they thought they could the next day. Uh, so foreclosures in Calgary, for instance, went from about 45 a week that I was marketing to uh, down to about five of them. Um, and it was, a, it was a, um, you know, quite, quite the change for us who were, who were, you know, specifically targeting that market. Um, it was a big business before then, and then all of a sudden there was, you know, not many to be had um, within our marketplace. So um, also before the boom, we were able to assume mortgages without qualifying, which was really nice. And so I did a lot of that. Um, but a boom never lasts forever. So because uh, many people were panic buying and, and almost anyone could get a mortgage, they were overspending on properties, and that would later become their end up being their downfall. So um, that's kind of where things are right now. Many people have houses that are worth less than or or the same as the value of their mortgages, and they've now lost their jobs or they can't afford to pay the mortgage for whatever reason, and that's put them in a really difficult position because they can't afford to pay a realtor. So at the same time. Um, it's become a lot more difficult for investors and for home buyers to qualify on new mortgages with new rules in place. And of course, we can't any longer assume mortgages without qualifying, which, um, which has made things a bit more difficult. So although it's made things more difficult, in my experience, it's, it's actually created a great opportunity for people who learn how to do agreement for sale and lease options. And um, for those of you that do learn how to do them well, um, you're, you kind of end up in the m minority. And um, you're able to make a good inc income off these techniques. So um, you're not only able to use them for purchasing property for yourself, but you can also do what I, what I did, which was structuring the deals to sell them to other investors that don't know how to do them. Um, lease options being a lot more uh, popular, a lot more people know how to do them, whereas agreement for sale, not so much, you know. Um, it's a very, very small market that knows how to do the agreement for sale. So anyways, on that note, let's get started. And, and tonight we're going to talk about the difference between a lease option and agreement for sale. And I'm going to be teaching all about agreement for sale at the Canada REIC seminar in Calgary on February 24th as well. So, so for tonight, I'm just going to kind of cover the differences, and then we'll get into a lot more detail on agreement for sale. Um, at the Canada REIC uh, seminar. So let's get started here. Okay, so uh, when we're purchasing, there's several ways that we can buy. So number one, of course, we can put on a new mortgage onto the property, which, as we all know, isn't, isn't as, as simple of a process anymore. We can qualify for that ourselves, or, or we could have a joint venture partner qualify for us. Um, number two, we could um, assume the existing mortgage with qualifying, which um, you know can make sense in, in the current market because if you find a property, say um, that you're buying for 300,000, 
and the mortgage on it is 280000 it might make sense to qualify with that existing mortgage because then you only have to put $20,000 down. And, and us as investors, we know that normally you're needing to put 20, 20 or 25% down as an investor. So, you know, you have to normally put down 80000 So sometimes it makes sense to assume that existing mortgage that's on the property. Also, it could just be a really good mortgage that's on there and better than, than you can get on your own right now. Um, you could also ask the owner to carry out a vendor take-back mortgage, um, especially if there's a lot of equity or or maybe there's no current mortgage on the property, so it's free and clear title. Um, the uh, And then, of course, as we're going to go through tonight, the agreement for sale, or otherwise known as a wrap mortgage. And then also um, a lease option, which is very similar to the agreement for sale. Um, so we'll go through those details tonight. And it's also referred to um, you know, commonly in the marketplace as rent to own. Okay, so there's also several ways that we can sell in this market. So I, I do have preferences depending on whether I'm buying or I'm selling, and we'll get into that in a little bit as well. But um, so the buyer as well could put on a new mortgage. Um, they can assume the existing financing with qualifying. So if you have a mortgage on there and and you're okay with them um, assuming that mortgage if they qualify, you can sell it that way. Um, then we could we can do an agreement for sale for them, which um, you know on a wrap mortgage you can make more interest um, on that because you make interest on the first mortgage. So for instance, if you um, if you were selling the property to them for three hundred and fifty thousand, and there's a three hundred thousand dollar first, um, you could get them to maybe put down a deposit of twenty thousand. And then you're carrying, say, 330000 at 7%. So if you were doing something like that, maybe the first mortgage is, is, is a 4% mortgage, so you're making interest on the interest of that first mortgage. And then the balance of the $30,000, you are making 7% on. So um, you know that's uh, considered a wrap mortgage. And um, that's one way that you can go ahead with selling it. Or you could also sell on lease option. And so you're leasing it to them with the option to purchase within a certain time period. Both of them they'd be putting down a, a deposit for. Okay. All right. So um, let me see here. Agreement for sale. Um, so this is, um, we're kind of going right now over the agreement for sale versus a lease option. And um, Sorry, I just got to get my notes together here. Um, now, because we can no longer sue mortgages without qualifying, um, a suggested way around this is, is by way of an agreement for sale or a wrap mortgage. So um, with agreement for sale, you actually have an interest in the property, and you're under an obligation to purchase. So it's, it's a much stronger contract that you're on versus the lease option. Um, there's an end date, and if you don't close by that date, you could lose the property. Um, you control the property. So because you have control of the property, you have the right to do what you want with it. So for example, you could list it with a realtor if you wanted to sell it. You could do a for sale by owner. You could put a lease option tenant in there. You could just rent it out to, to a tenant, um, or you could sell it again on an agreement for sale. 
So you're buying on agreement for sale and you're selling on agreement for sale. Okay, but you control that property and you're able to make those decisions on it. Um, so both the title, um, or no, you don't have to personally guarantee it, and you don't have to qualify on the mortgage. So the title stays in the original owner's name until you pay them out. Okay? So you don't really carry much of the risk aside from your initial deposit. All right. Uh, let me know if I'm going too fast or anything here. Um, now, what I usually recommend is that you get a power of attorney signed with your lawyer at the beginning of, of negotiations when you're purchasing the house. And um, the reason being is this gives you full rights to sign with respect to that house. So if, um, uh, say, about six, month, six months bef before the end of the term, you can go to the bank and you can see if you're able to renew that mortgage. And they might let you sign on a renewal of that mortgage, which would extend your term that you have that under contract for. Right, so, um, uh, um, and the reason I say six months before the end of the term is because if they don't allow you to renew, you still want to have time to do something with that property, whether you're going to sell it or you're going to get new financing on it or, or whatever you're going to do at that time. Um, because, you know, if you've got a longer term, three, four, five years, whatever it is that is left on that term, the value may have gone up, um, you know, quite a bit over that, uh, over that time and there might be some different things that you can do. Um, okay, so with an agreement for sale, if uh, if the buyer does not make the payments, it can be a much more ch it can be much more challenging to get them out of the property than a lease option is. Uh, the procedure is more like a foreclosure than a, a simple tenant eviction, uh, so it can it can take much longer and it can be much more expensive. So that's kind of one of the negatives about agreement for sale. Usually, you know, for ourselves, if something like that were to happen, you're going to try to get them out in a different way other than having to do an eviction procedure. You're, you know, you might pay them to leave. You know, we've done stuff like that in the past, too. Um, you know, paying them um, X amount of money to, to just leave is, you know, sometimes better than it taking, you know, three, four months to get them out. And, and a lot less expensive as well. Okay, so lease options. Um, with a lease option, as most of you probably know, you're a tenant with the option to purchase that property. So you don't actually have ownership in it, you're a tenant with the option to purchase it. So we use three separate contracts. One is a, a standard purchase agreement, and uh, which we, we can't fill in all the information at the time that they're, they're signing everything up because oftentimes different variables at the end that change. You know, there might be a, a change in purchase price if they put in additional deposit money throughout the term, those sorts of things. So can't really fill it all in um, at the beginning, but we do put the purchase agreement with it, with the names and, and whatever you can put on there. Then we fill in the lease agreement. So um, because remember, they're actually a tenant, uh, usually called a tenant buyer, and so they're, they're on a, lease, a normal lease agreement so that if for whatever reason they don't pay you the rent, um, then it automatically reverts to them being with a tenant in the property. And then, um, then we also attach a lease option. And it's a lease, lease option, which is an additional contract um, to the other two that gives them the op option to purchase that property.
Okay, so they they don't have to uh, they don't have control of the property. Um, they'll normally have to get permission from the seller if they want to sell the property to anyone else, or if they want to bring in a new new lease option tenant to take over their contract. You know, if they've put down ten thousand and you know a year has come and gone and they're realizing, you know what, I'm not going to be able to qualify on this. Um, I'm going to find somebody else to buy me out and pay me back my ten thousand. Have somebody come in. Uh, normally, they have to have permission of that, so so they don't have near the control of the property as you do with an agreement for sale. And um, they don't have to follow through on the purchase if they if they decide not to. Um, that's uh, you know that's part of the deal. And now, if they pay late, um, which is different from an agreement for sale, their lease option contract automatically becomes null and void. Okay, so therefore they become solely a tenant for breaching their contract. So because of that, if you need to evict, you do your eviction through landlord court, and it's much simpler and less time-consuming, and much much less costly procedure than with the agreement for sale. You know, we can we can usually get them out in a few weeks. And in saying that too, you know. Um, because their contract is null and void, um, what we'll do is, is if they want to put it back into play, that's fine, but we'll charge them a fee to put it back into play, which, and, and it's not the fee that we're really wanting. What it is is that they know we're serious about making the payment on time. So it's just a, a bit different procedure, a bit simpler procedure than an agreement for sale. Okay. Now, um, similarities that are between the agreement for sale and lease option are, number one, under both scenarios, you'll eventually have to qualify on a mortgage. Um, you know, uh, under agreement for sale, you should be able to, you, you may be able to renew that mortgage and get it extended for a longer period of time, which, um, you know, you don't on a, on a lease option, you're not able to do that. but. Um, I mean, they may they may give you more time if you're on a two-year lease option and you're buying it on a lease option and they allow you a one-year extension, you may get that additional time. But in general, eventually you're going to have to qualify on a mortgage. And number two, um, on in both scenarios, you're going to lose your deposit if you don't follow through with the purchase. Either way. So what I like to do is I like to... Um, have my buyer, if I'm buying on an agreement for sale, whatever I'm doing with that property, if, if I have to put down, say, $10,000 to get that property on an agreement for sale, what I'm going to be doing then is bringing in a lease option tenant or agreement for sale person that are going to be putting down at least $10,000. Because if they're putting down at least $10,000, they're covering what I already put down. So then I'm at no risk, right? Because they paid my deposit for me. So so that's kind of how I structure things. So personally, I like to keep the control in my hands. Um, people who know me um, maybe say that I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> so my preference is to buy under an agreement for sale. And because if I buy under agreement for sale, I hold the control. And if I sell under a lease option, I still hold that control, right? So 
that's kind of how I try to uh, to structure it. So today um, there's great opportunity with lease options, and um, you know I we you know for the same reasons that I spoke about earlier that we can no longer assume mortgages without qualifying. So um, because of that, it's created a big opportunity for those of you who learn how to do um, agreement for sale and lease options. Um, a lot of people don't know how to do them and um, because of that, um, if you can create that and you can learn how to do that and teach it to people and bring them that product, there's uh, you know, a great opportunity for you to do that. Not just for, for bringing that product to someone else, but also for buying that, for buying it yourself. Um, like I said, during the boom, people were overspending. They're taking on 95 to 100% loan-to-value financing, and they, they couldn't afford to do it. Everybody thought the boom would never end, um, so they were comfortable in their purchases and, you know, buying as much as you could and, and just really, really overspending. So when the boom did end, the prices dropped, job growth and, and the economy slowed. All of a sudden, they can't afford to continue making the mortgage payments or um, and they can't afford to sell because their mortgage is at or higher than their mortgage is worth. So if you can provide them with an agreement for sale option, it's usually really appealing to people. Because some people say to me, well, how do you, you know, convince them that they're going to, th that you're going to take over their mortgage and you're going to make the payments and it's going to stay in their name. And, uh, and the title's going to stay in their name and the mortgage is going to stay in their name. Um, well, you know, you think of it this way, if you're in foreclosure or or you're, um, you may not be in foreclosure, you may just be struggling with your mortgage payment and maybe you've got a job somewhere else or something and you need to leave and you need to get out of that property. Um, number one, you can, you know, somebody takes it over an agreement for sale, you're building their credit. As long as you're making those payments every month, you're building their credit for them, right? And uh, because it's, it's not your credit you're building because it stays under there, so that's positive for them. And, um, and they're getting they're getting out from, you know, a, a bad situation. So um, they're actually, most good people in the situation are more than willing to, uh, uh, to sell your, you, their house on an agreement for sale. So um, then you don't have to qualify, you don't have to per personally guarantee, um, and you can provide that, that service to another investor or general public that are looking to buy a home. And, uh, and it's something different from the, from the norm that allows them to purchase a house that they normally couldn't purchase otherwise without you setting that up. Um, so yeah, I mean, the properties are underwater. And because they're worth less um, or they're close to their mortgages, it gives you the opportunity to buy with very little down payment too. Uh, if you purchase under agreement for sale, you can get them, you know, for, for, for really, really low because they're so close in price. Okay. Okay. So, so who do you sell to on an agreement for sale or lease option? I often get that question as well. Um, you know, because people are concerned. Well, how am I going to find somebody to sell it to? Um, well, because many people can't get financing, uh, both investors and homeowners. There's actually a large market who can't qualify on mortgages. So, if you can show them how to purchase a property without having to put a mortgage on. They're usually really eager to listen to you about that. Um, 
Remember that you're providing a home with no qualifying or no personal guarantees. So you're providing a huge service, you know, that, that can be sold both to investors and home buyers or for yourself just purchasing property as well. Um, so again, I guess I got ahead of myself here that, uh, you know, I keep the control in my hands, purchase under agreement for sale. This is just what I prefer to do. So many, many investors purchase on agreement for sale and sell agreement for sale or, or purchase on lease option and sell on lease option. So just my, my personal opinion, I, I like to, keep, to sell or to purchase on the agreement for sale to keep the control in my hands and then sell under a lease option to again keep the control in my hands in case they don't pay or, or something like that happens. So, um, yeah, so I hope that helps to explain things a little with the differences between agreement for sale and lease options. And uh, like I said earlier, I'll be teaching all about agreement for sale at uh, the next seminar for Canada Reek in Calgary on February 24th. And um, I know some of you don't live in Calgary, but I'm assuming, Yark, is that presentation, uh, the, the live seminars that go on will be recorded as well and put on the site? Definitely, that's the that's the way to do it, right? We are living in such kind of Perfect. we are living in such kind of society that everybody is kind of lazy. They don't want to go far away from their home. So yes, we will record it, yeah. and, and we will be posting on canadaric.com in the seminar section. That is the answer of for some of the questions. If that current webinar is recorded, yes, it's recorded, and you can review it later on more likely within 24 hours on canadaric.com, okay? So just for information for every, everyone, I've been receiving a lot of questions, and what I'm going to do it is primarily I would like everybody to get ready for the microphone, and I will be calling every of the person who has a question, except those which they will mention that they do not have an, a microphone ready or they didn't set it up. However, at that stage, I would really appreciate that you type the entire question at one time, okay? That's, that's for you because, unfortunately, there are so many questions popping up and I cannot follow up and, you know, jump from one place to another one. So, Debbie, are you ready for conversation? Okay, you are unmuted. Debbie? Hi. Hello? Hi. Hello? Hello, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Can you hear me now? Mm, much better. <laughs> I can, can hear you hear good now, now, Debbie. Yes. Yep. Okay. I was just wondering, I didn't quite catch the difference between an agreement for sale and the regular sale document that everybody uses. How is an agreement for sale different? Than a regular purchase? Yeah. You mean than just a standard purchase? Okay. So Debbie's question was, you know, how is yeah. an agreement for sale um, different from a regular purchase? So. Um, the difference is, Debbie, is that um, you are taking over their mortgage. So instead of you having to get a new mortgage, like if you were doing a regular purchase, you're going to be going to the bank, qualifying on a mortgage, and buying that property, right? Whether it's through um, the MLS system or your or 
you're doing it on your own, um, you're going to do a regular sale with a purchase agreement that you're just going out to the bank and you're getting your financing and you're doing an inspection and you're buying that property. Whereas agreement for sale is different in that there's additional um, sections on your contract or you will add a different contract to the pur purchase agreement. So oftentimes it's done that way where you're doing up a regular purchase agreement but then the agreement for sale is attached to that. So you're purchasing the property but you're taking over their mortgage so you're not putting a new mortgage onto the property. You're taking over the payments on their mortgage. Um, I always say if uh, I'm making the payments, I make the payments. I don't give them a check, okay? If, if I'm buying, if I'm buying on an agreement for sale and say I've got to pay $2,000 a month to cover their mortgage, I'm taking that $2,000 a month and I'm going to the bank or setting it up that they take an automatic withdrawal out of my account. I am never, ever giving that money to the agreement for sale person. Especially, you know, I mean, it could be and a foreclosure. Mm -hmm. And is that different from assuming their mortgage? Yes, it is. Because when you assume their mortgage, you have to qualify on that, number one, now. You didn't used to, but now you have to qualify when you assume the mortgage. And when you qualify, you will have to personally guarantee it, and, um, and you're going to have to qualify on it. Whereas with an agreement for sale, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to personally guarantee. You're just their mortgage stays in place. They have, uh, they have the title in their name still, and you make the payments on their mortgage. So you see you're not okay. putting anything new in well, place. And Sorry. Mm -hmm. well, I look go forward to your presentation on the 24th. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. I look forward to meeting you. Thank you. Thank you. Most welcome. Okay, so Mr. Odi, I hope that you're ready for it. Just give me a second. I will unmute you. Odi, you are on. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, good evening. How, how are you? I am good. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, that, Jerry, you said that correct. My name is Odi. Um, so with the sandwich lease option then, when you're doing a sandwich lease option, then that means that you have to let the seller know that you are going to do a sandwich lease option. That's the way to do it, right? Yeah. Because you, like you said before, you have to let the seller, uh, you have to get the seller's permission for you to do the other lease option to the other um, party. Normally you do, yes. Um, it shouldn't matter really to the person that is selling you the sandwich lease except that they may be concerned that you can't close it, right? I mean, the ultimate um, goal is to sell that property. So if they're concerned about that, then they may, you know, they may not allow you to do that. But um, yeah, I would, I would clarify that right up front because for myself personally, if I'm, say, I, I'm selling on a lease option, in my contracts, it's going to state on there that they have to, uh, they have to get permission from me in order to sell it to anybody else. So normally, it's going to say that in the contract, and you're going to have to get permission. So if that's your plan, it it might be it probably be best to disclose that right up front because if they don't allow you to do that, then and you can't close it, then you've lost your your deposit, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So so um, I guess you can also do agreement for sale, mm -hmm. and then turn around and then have a lease option, correct? 
that's my preference. Yeah, because on an agreement for sale, I can do anything I want with it, right? I have control of that property. And then I'm selling it on a lease option, so I'm keeping that control because um, they have to get permission from me to be able to do anything with that property. But me, I bought on an agreement for sale, so I don't have to get permission. So, yeah, that, that's uh, my correct. preference. Oh, that's okay. how I like to do it. Uh, okay, perfect. Thank you so much, and I'm uh, looking forward to meeting you on 24th. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Odie. I appreciate it. Odie, okay, you are muted. And Tim, 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 just give me a second. I have to scroll through all those, all of you guys in order to unmute. Okay. <laughs> Tim, you ready? You are unmuted. Hi, Tim. Tim. Okay, there are so many questions. Oh, okay. Sorry, he has no mic. Guys, for the future, oh, okay. for the future, please be kind and set it up or dial the by the phone number. That's the best. Or if you don't have a mic, just get it one. It's worth it a while and costs only twenty-five dollars. Okay, so just give me a second. So I have to read it. Okay with my Polish accent, go figure now. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you guarantee payments during the agreement for sale period? If so, how long do you? No. Here there is answer. No, I don't. I, yeah, sorry, Tim, I don't. I, um, what I will agree to, because uh, obviously there, you know, the people are saying, well, you know, like what if you don't make the payments? How do I know you're making the payments? Because there's those concerns. You know, for obvious reasons, um, there are going to be people out there that would buy their property and wouldn't make the payments, and then three months later they find out about it when a statement of claim is, is put on their property and they, they find out they're in foreclosure. So that's an obvious concern. I don't um, guarantee payments, but what I do do to give them some um, peace of mind is I will tell them right up front that um, on day two, so, so the first day of the mortgage, I'm going to be making the payment on, or the first day of the month, sorry, and then on the second day of the month, I'm going to fax them a copy of that receipt of payment so that they're comfortable and they know that I'm making that payment. But I mean, if I'm under an agreement for sale, I'm expected to make those payments for the term of that mortgage. That's my deal, right? Okay. Tim, did I answer the question? That answers your question. Okay. Uh, waiting for the answer over the chat. And dog. You will be next, okay? So I'm I'm muting you now. Okay, Tim is saying thank you for answering the answering the question. Doc, you are online. Great. Hi, Doug. Doug, Doug are you there? You are unmuted. Give it a try. Okay, hold a second. I have to scroll out. Okay, so I'm going to read again. How can they sell the property if you your name is still on the title? That's the question. Okay, how can, 
how can they sell the property if, if your name is still on the title? So in other words, um, I think what you're saying is that if, if I sell one of my properties on an agreement for sale, then how can they sell it if my name is still on the title? Um, they can because under an agreement for sale, they're going to secure their agreement for sale on the title as a caveat on that title. Okay, um, That secures their position on that title and it gives them the right to be able to sell that property. And, uh, and that's part of the agreement for sale contract that your lawyer would do up for you when you're selling the property on an agreement for sale. The purchaser's lawyer will do it up because the purchaser is the one who pays for the expense of the um, of uh, putting the, the agreement for sale documents into place and it will clearly say it on there. So um, for instance, if I'm buying it on agreement for sale, on, on my contract it will state that I am allowed to and, and have full rights to be able to sell that property. Now when I sell that property, it changes from the, the title is in the original owner, so say, say there's Jack sells it to me and I sell it to Mary, then the title is in Jack's name. When I sell it to Mary, it will transfer title from Jack to Mary. And I'm kind of the in-between guy. Okay. Uh, would you Does mind that just answer your question? Uh, he has to type it in, and he has a couple more other questions. So what I'm going to do is I will read all his questions mm -hmm. at one shot. Okay. So okay. Okay. I'm I'm worried that. If I use agreement for sale and they don't pay, I foreclose, I don't hold the mortgage, what options do I have? Okay, um, agreement for sale, um, excuse me, it's, it's not actually a foreclosure, but it's similar to a foreclosure. Okay, so um, for instance, a foreclosure, if um, uh, the way a foreclosure works is, um, you know, normally when people fall about three months behind, the, the bank will send it to their lawyers and their lawyers will put the property into foreclosure and they're served with a statement of claim. Um, then, you know, they have to inspect the property, they come over, do an appraisal, it goes to court, and then they're given up to six months um, time period where they can redeem themselves. So that's called a redemption period. They've got six months to do that in. Um, with um, um, an agreement for sale, it, it's, it's not that same process if they don't pay, but it's, it's similar, it's lengthy, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's expensive, okay, a foreclosure proceeding can cost, you know, eight, ten thousand dollars to do a full procedure, uh, can even get higher than that, and so, you know, it's probably going to cost between five to ten thousand dollars to get them out if they don't go out on their own. Normally what we would do is we would go to them and say, look, you know, you put us down ten thousand dollar deposit, we're going to, you, you obviously can't afford to pay this, you're not going to be able to to finalize this, we'll give you back $2,000 to leave the property by the 15th and keep it, put it in perfect condition the way it was when you got it. So we'll do something like that in order to get them out rather than going through the whole process because then I get them out quick, I put somebody new in there, I pay them, they clean the property, they leave it nice and you keep it on in good terms as best you can whenever you can, right? Uh, whether you're renting or you're doing something like this. So um, yeah, so I mean if, if they don't pay it's a much bigger process than than a lease option, and that's why I don't normally sell on an agreement for sale. There are reasons why you would want to sell on an agreement for sale. Um, you, you can make more money in different things, and I will go through that when we when we go on the seminar. 
I'll go through why I, you know, at times maybe I would sell an agreement for sale, but um, but for that purpose, if they don't pay, I'd much rather have a lease option on there because then, boom, they're done. They they uh, they they're automatically a tenant if they're one day late, and now I can do an eviction in landlord and tenancy courts, which you know three weeks later I can have them out. Perfect. Um, it, was that the whole question there, Yark, or was there more to that question? Uh, unfortunately, Doc is typing all over the places, <laughs> so okay. I I will I will I will I will. Uh, I will just, I'm going again, confused. Agreement for sale, okay. you don't own, but you are in the control. Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Okay. Yes. You, um, and I guess that's the short answer. You, um, you do own it in a sense. You, um, and you have the right a contractual right to be able to do whatever you want with that property and you know guys I mean think of it this way I specialize in foreclosures you you look at foreclosures now the reason that up front we're going to do a power of attorney is because if somebody is in foreclosure and you take over their property do you think three years from now when that term comes up you're going to be able to find them anywhere not a chance okay and when they're in foreclosure they will sign just about anything to get out of that situation that they're in. So it's at that time that I get a power of attorney signed, which gives me full contractual right to sign on behalf of them for the mortgage on that property or for that property in general, which means I'm going to sell. If I want to list this property on the MLS two and a half years from now, I can do that. I'm, I'm contractually able to sign on the dotted line to list that property even though the title is in their name. And that is the difference with agreement for sale versus lease option. Is a lease option, you don't have that kind of control. And when we go through um, on, uh, at the end of the month um, during the seminar, I'll go through those contracts and stuff with you as well. And I'll show you how that works with the agreement for sale. Okay, looks like uh, there's no more question. And Doc, if you have any, any follow-up suggestion questions please type it in okay so mr richard okay richard you online hi hello. richard hello madeline how are you can you hear me yes i can fantastic great to hear your presentation and Thank i you. just look forward to uh, some more information uh, as we continue through the mentoring program, I actually just typed in a question about seeing, uh, getting the, uh, you know, getting a copy of the presentation. So, uh, absolutely, I, I, I don't have anything more specific than that. Well, thank you, Richard's taking my next mentorship program that's starting in the beginning of March. So, thank you, Richard, for coming on. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Look forward to uh, connecting with you more. Great. Thank you. Me too. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. That was quick. Yeah. Okay, there is a question. Easy question. <laughs> uh, it won't be so easy. <laughs> okay. They get tougher, eh? Yeah, they're getting tougher. Okay, so uh, Myrna, oops, Myrna, what percentage of the buyers qualify at the end of their terms to buy? Buy you out. Um, you know what, Myrna, is uh, I can't give you an exact um, 
answer on that, but what I can tell you is the higher the deposit that you get them to put up front, and the more qualifying you do them up front, the, the better the chance they are going to qualify in the end, right? So, um, you know, what I recommend is I, I know people that do lease options for next to nothing um, as far as deposits go. Not so much agreement for sale, but I, I know, um, you know, several people that will take, you know, $1,000 or $2,000 down. That's not the way I do things. My goal is to have these people purchase that property. Um, not to say it isn't beneficial if they don't, because if they don't purchase the property, I keep their deposit, right? I may have made additional funds over the term, the life of it, because with the, it, say I'm selling on a, on a lease option, um, you know, maybe expenses are $1,500 a month, maybe I'm charging them $2,000 a month, so I'm making $500 a month cash flow, and then maybe they put down a $10,000 deposit, and so, you know, maybe for, you know, two years they paid that to me, that was a benefit to me, now maybe the property is worth more. If they don't follow through, I keep their deposit, I keep their cash flow, and I find somebody else to do exactly the same thing, so then I can get another $10,000 deposit and $500 a month cash flow, because I don't have to give that deposit back, right? So, so not to say it's not beneficial, if they don't follow through, but my ultimate goal is to sell that property, and I'm not bringing people into the house um, to, you know, to not move a property to them eventually. So, um, so in saying that, um, my what I do is is I ask for a stronger deposit. Um, I would never ever do anything on a thousand or two thousand dollar deposit. I'm looking probably a minimum of, uh, depending on the property and where it's located. So, for instance, if it was in a tougher neighborhood, low income neighborhood condo, I might ask for five thousand, and it might be hard to find somebody that's got five thousand in that area. If I'm, you know, if I've got, uh, you know, um, a single family home in a in a inner city neighborhood in Calgary, I'm going to be looking for a minimum $10,000 down. And what I'm normally looking for is, is the amount, at least the amount that I'm buying it for. So if I'm having to put $10,000 down, you see, because the way I teach it is if I'm buying it on agreement for sale, normally I am trying to, um, I'm buying it on agreement for sale, I'm giving myself a certain amount of time before I remove conditions on that. Okay, during that time period, say I give myself three weeks, I'm out there finding a lease option tenant to come into that property. Okay, so I'm giving myself that time in order. So if I'm putting ten thousand dollars down to that guy when I'm buying it, then in that three weeks, I'm trying to find a lease option tenant that's going to give me ten thousand dollars minimum, so I can put that on the money that I owe to buy it. But yeah, no, I guess you know, the answer to your question. There's no real answer to that. I can tell you on lease options, when you sell on lease options, there's several people that never follow through. Um, but the, the best chance to get them to follow through is to qualify them. You know, set them up with your mortgage broker. Have a good mortgage broker that you work with, that, you, that you've got a great relationship with. I have one that she's awesome. Okay, and, and she'll do any of the background work for me. I don't have to do it, right? I'm just sending them to her. And then she checks them out, and then she'll come back to me and say, you know what, if they do, you know, if they make X amount of payments on this, set them up with this credit card, you know, because there's credit cards out there where you can put 
$200 down and they'll give you a credit card. So even somebody who's in uh, bankruptcy can get a credit card if they put the money down, right? So they'll, they'll tell them, okay, you know what, get this credit card, then make your payments on it, use it. You know, even if you only put $10 a month in it, use it and pay it every single month to build your credit. And they'll do different things like that to help them build that credit. So I guess, you know, the, the better you set things up in advance, the more chance they're going to close. And the higher amount of money they put down on that property, the better chance they're going to close. Because I'm not going to go and put $10,000 down on a property if I don't think I can close it, right? You know, I don't want to lose that money unless I'm, you know, very, very wealthy and 10000 means nothing to me, in which case I would just buy the property myself anyways, right? So hopefully that helps. Okay. So next question is from Don. Hey, Don, you're Don? online. Yes. Okay. Hi, Don. Don. I guess no, no mic. Okay, so okay. the question is, it's more likely dedicated uh, about uh, to me. So what is the membership cost in Canada, in the Canada RIC? Go, go find it out. Nothing. To be honest with you, at this moment, uh, the goal is very, very, very basic. Is we, we would like to allow people which they are thinking about real estate investing, investors to build their network based on the same credentials, criteria like LinkedIn, Facebook for real estate investors. Uh, yes, we understand that there's nothing for free. So what we are doing is very, very simple. We are making due diligence on mentors, uh, educators, and we cooperate with them in order to provide the best value for for you guys. So uh, at this moment there is no membership and we are planning not to charge. Uh, we will provide uh, possibility to, to have a $50 a month and you will be having possibility to analyze deals with the mentors. Simple as that. So overall it's free. Okay? Yeah, so go on guys and sign up for sure. Sure, definitely. Now, Oscar. Uh, I think there is already question was answered, but I'm going to unmute you, Oscar. Hi, Oscar. Hold a second. Okay. Oscar, are you online? Hello. Hello. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Oscar. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Awesome. So yeah, like um, I just had a few questions. Uh, you know, I guess uh, an agreement for sale would be like a purchase contract where you need a down payment. Is that correct? Yes. It's a purchase contract, but it's got additional terms in that contract, or it's it's an additional contract that's that that's attached an attachment to the purchase contract. Okay. Yes, so yes, you normally have to put money down. Not necessarily though. Um, there, there, there are times right now where you can find a property. Okay, so say you find a property on um, a for sale by owner site. Okay, now some of the people on for sale by owner sites right now are listed on the for sale by owner site because they can't afford to sell through a realtor. Okay, so say that you find right. a property that was three hundred thousand. Okay, that's the value of it. 
and the mortgage on it is 310000 Well, those people, if they're anxious to get out of that for any reason, you can write that deal without putting any money down. You take over their mortgage because okay. you're paying more for it than it's even worth right now, right? So there is right. a chance. There is, there is, you know, usually you have to put something down, but there, there are situations where you don't. Okay, so I mean, basically, you would have to put a, like you know at least a hundred dollars or something just to make it a viable yeah. agreement, right? Absolutely. Right. Yes, you always have to put something okay. down, but. Mm-hmm. And the last thing would be, um, like you know, one of the options that you put there uh, when you buy or sell properties, um, you said that you sometimes ask for a carry, like the seller to carry the mortgage as a vendor take back. Yeah. Now. Um, is that just like an agreement for sale? Because, I mean, you're asking them to carry the mortgage as well as the down payment, per se. Well, it's similar, right? Um, I mean, you could do that in a way where you do an agreement for sale on the uh, the first mortgage, and then they carry some of the balance. So, for instance, if there's a first mortgage of 200000 you could do an agreement, and the properties were 300 you could do an agreement for sale on that 200000 and ask them to carry more. Uh, uh, you know, so that maybe you get in with twenty thousand down or something, and they carry eighty thousand. Um, there is a way of doing that. It's 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 a little more extensive than I can get into today. So I I will teach that at the end of the month. But um, um, yeah, or if say they have no mortgage, maybe they have no mortgage and their property is free and clear, um, they might very well be willing to make a you know get get additional income every month, right? So um, right. You know, so you pay them, uh, you know, maybe interest only, maybe principal and or interest. It depends what kind of deal you structure with them. And But then they're in, they're, they actually are in first position as a first mortgage holder. They own the mortgage. Awesome. You buy the property from them, so you're buying the property from them. Um, so title would go into your name, but they're going to carry the first mortgage, so they're, they're on title just like the bank would be if, um, if, if, uh, if the bank was putting a mortgage on it. Okay, so it's sounds a little bit good. different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. You still probably you may not have to qualify and stuff on it, um, but but the property would be in your in your name. But it's it's kind of harder to find that because you have to find something where they've got equity in it or or they have no mortgage on it, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Oscar. Oscar, you muted. And Gregory. Hold a second. Gregory, you are un unmuted. Hi, Greg. Whoa. Okay, another one, no microphone. Okay, <laughs> can we get samples of the forms to use? Um, yes, I will be um, going through the contracts at the um, at the seminar on the twenty fourth. So I'll be going through that then, and uh, and providing that. Okay. So it looks like you have to show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know Myrna; she has no no microphone, so I, I will read it. Okay. It's more, more likely related to agreement for sale and U.S. investing. Is the agreement for okay. sale for agreement for sale? I know that you are investing in the United States, so it won't be a, 
question which won't be sufficient and good. So, is the mm -hmm. agreement for sale the same as subject to in the U.S.? Um, yes, it, it's similar. It's a similar process. There, there are a few things that are that are different, um, but yeah, it's it's a similar process, just different wording. Okay. And subject to your buying, subject to, um, you know, but they're keeping that mortgage in place. So yeah, it's it's similar process. There there are some differences, but okay. similar idea. So. If so, what about the due on sale clause? Okay, the due on sale clause. Um, okay, my lawyer that I've spoken to um, about this has never seen an issue with the due on sale clause. I mean, rightly, the bank could call the mortgage if they chose to, but they have never seen an issue where uh, where the bank has done that and and. Uh, Buying on an agreement for sale doesn't seem to bother the bank as long as you continue making the payments. Okay. Hopefully uh, that answers that. Hopefully, please, Myrna, please type it if you have any follow-up questions, and then we will see how we can answer. Uh, Mecca, Mika, you're next. Okay, so please allow me to just find you among other guys. Okay. Hello, hello. Can you hear us? Mecca Mika Keys. Hello, hello. Okay. Unfortunately, I have to read again. <laughs> Does agreement for sale overwrite the mortgage conditions if it is a non-transferable mortgage? Does the agreement for sale overwrite the mortgage conditions if it is a non-transferable mortgage? Um. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Um, when you take over that mortgage on an agreement for sale, you are taking over the exact same terms that exist in that mortgage. Um, so you, you're not changing anything on that mortgage. You're simply securing a caveat onto the title that you're taking, basically taking over that mortgage on a, an agreement for sale um, as far as the payments and that sort of thing. But other than that, everything stays in the other person's name, the, the seller's name, and all of the existing terms stay into place. Okay. If you have a follow-up. That answers the question. Well, we'll see. Uh, let me see. There is no follow-up. And Myrna, she's saying thank you very much for the questions concerning the subject, too. So mm, looks thank like you, Myrna. Thank, thank you for asking. Appreciate that. Okay. And Tony. Tony. I don't have a mic, of course, so I have to read again. Please talk about how much down payment of lease to own is ideal to collect for the uh, agreement for sale deal. Um, well, on a lease option, I would normally, if, I, if I'm buying, or if I'm selling, sorry, if I'm selling um, a property of mine on a lease option, um, 
I, I normally won't expect as much money down as I would on an agreement for sale. And the reason being is because if I'm doing it on a lease option, if uh, I'm keeping that control in my hands, like I said, so if, uh, if, if for some reason they don't make the payments, then I can immediately make them into a tenant and get them out, right? Um, versus an agreement for sale, where it's going to be a lot more costly procedure if they don't make those payments. So I'm going to expect, if I'm giving them control of my property, I'm going to expect a lot more money down. So, um, you know, like I said, a lease option, I might be more flexible. Um, I might go um, anywhere from $3,000 and up, um, depending on which area and the, the property. With an agreement for sale, I'm, I'm not likely to, to sell anything I own on an agreement for sale for less than $10,000. Okay. Uh, that, that answers that. Yes, we have in a, a couple questions which are just overlapping with each other. Unfortunately, we have so many questions, so I would like to, I prefer to answer, you know, even twice or three times. That will be repetition, but that's perfectly fine because everybody okay. can hear again. So that's perfectly fine. You Tony, are you listening to me? But. <laughs> uh, you cannot be very <laughs> ever tired of listening to you. Come on, please. No. Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so Vishal, Vishal, I hope you have a microphone up and ready because I'm unmuting you at this moment. Hello. Hello, hi. Thanks, Madeline, hi. for uh, taking our questions and answering uh, so many things and all for all the information that you have given to us. Oh, you're um, welcome. I had a question on the thank you. Uh, you I had a question on the mind basically uh, what are the uh, what are the uh, ways we are making money with the AFS um, and it's on the all depending on the sale that we'll be making of the house or is there any other way in the process that we are making money? I mean, in cash flow and on, on an agreement for sale? Um, you mean if you're selling yes. on an agreement for sale? Yes, okay, so yes. say that I'm selling on an agreement for sale, and this is usually the only way I'll sell on an agreement for sale, is if I'm going to make really good money off it, and it makes sense to do it that way. So for instance, say that I am buying a property, or I, I bought a property, I'm selling it on an agreement for sale, um, I'm selling it for $350,000, Say that I picked up that property on an agreement for sale for three hundred grand. Okay, these are the kind of deals you're looking for on, um, you know, with foreclosures and, and undervalued properties. So I, I buy this property for three hundred grand. Say that it was in foreclosure. I hope you guys can follow along with this example, and please, you know, stop me if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about. But if um, I, I'm buying this property on an agreement for sale from somebody that's in foreclosure, I'm taking it over for what's owing on it, okay, because the property itself is $300,000 mortgage and maybe it's, let's say it's worth three hundred and thirty. okay. Now, say that they're behind and I have to catch up their uh, legals and their arrears on that property to take it out of foreclosure, okay. So I'm taking over their existing mortgage of 300000 For example, sake, let's say it's at 4%. I'm putting down, say, $10,000 to take it out of foreclosure. So I'm paying $310,000. The property is worth $330,000, okay? Now, because I'm selling it on an agreement for sale, I can bump that price up, okay, because I'm bringing value to the table that the guy I'm selling it to 
doesn't have to qualify on a mortgage and doesn't have to um, uh, personally guarantee anything. So I'm bringing him a property, say it's worth 330 and I'm going to sell it to him for $350,000. Um, and I've got three-year term on that mortgage, okay, on, on the existing mortgage. What I'm going to do if I sell it to him on an agreement for sale, if my first mortgage is 300000 at 4%, I'm going to get him to put down $20,000. Okay, so he puts down $20,000, 10 of which I can put in my pocket, and the other 10, I pay that, the, the legals and arrears that, that that mortgage, you know, I'm buying from somebody in foreclosure, I have to pay that to get it out of foreclosure, right? So I'm pocketing 10 grand because it's non-refundable, and I'm taking $10,000, and I'm paying that out of foreclosure, okay? Now, Based on that, there's $330,000 that I'm carrying for the guy because he's buying it for three fifty, dollars he's putting down twenty, dollars 330000 that he still owes me. So I'm not going to tell him. It doesn't matter to him when I'm selling. It does not matter to him about my first mortgage on there. What matters to him is what he has to pay. So I'm going to tell him, I am going to carry you on an agreement for sale or a wrap mortgage I'm going to carry you $330,000 at 7%, 7.5%, 8%. In the States right now, I'm doing them at 8.5%. Okay? Now, because they can't qualify on a mortgage, they're happy to do that, right? So they now, I, you see what's happening on my end, though, is I've got this first mortgage in place that I'm paying 4% on. So maybe my, for numbers sake, let's say I'm paying... $1,500 a month on that mortgage, okay? Um, but I'm making 7% on it. So I'm paying 4% to the bank, but I'm making 7 or 8% on it, whatever deal I come to with him. So I'm making an interest off the bank's money. Then I've got another 30000 that I never put into that property, right? I'm carrying 30000 but I got it under market in a foreclosure, so I'm, I never put that money in there. But I'm making, 10%, or I'm making 7 or 8% off that 30000 that I never even put in. So that's a way that you can sell under agreement for sale. That's when it's worth it because the guy has put down twenty grand. Chances of him walking and never qualifying are slim. And, um, you know, I can make money off the bank's money, off money I never put in. And, you know, so I'm making good cash flow off it and, uh, and able to structure it, making, a, you know, basically a $40,000 profit in the end. And, and I know that's a lot to take in, guys. Um, you know, I, I teach this over weeks in my in my mentorship program, so I know it's a lot to take in in one in one sitting. So I, I hope that helps to explain it a little bit of a way that you can, you know, make good money off of selling on an agreement for sale. Vishal, uh, if you have a question, uh, um, Madeline, that was uh, yeah, that was uh, a good answer, and I think I got most of the grasp, most of the points. Thanks very much for the answer. Thank you. Sorry, Vishal, I had to mute you during the time because you had some background noises, so I hope you forgive me about that. Mike, you're next. Let's go. Let me find Mike. Mike, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Perfect. Hi, Good. Mike. Yeah, hi. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, um, my question is... Uh, does agreement for sale work with um, larger properties, like multifamily properties? Um, 
I haven't done it with a, with um, multifamily properties, but you know, I'm willing to bet that there is definite opportunity with that right now. And actually, I can think of a few deals off the top of my head that would work that way. Um, I'm just thinking with the multiple tenants in there. Um, yeah. How how that would work? Well, it, it wouldn't really change anything because you look at it as one box, right? And now in saying that, saying that I wouldn't that I haven't done it that way. That's actually, I, I've, I'm selling some of my own properties right now because we're reinvesting into the states and some of mine are, you know, are multi, like they're six or whatever, right? Um, so um, absolutely it would work. And in, in this market, um, I'm telling you, I, I did a lot of uh, flipping commercial um, over the years when the boom was on there and so many people were overbuying and you know, especially in the multifamily, and uh, you know, with the intention, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna um, buy this building, and we're gonna convert it, and you know, we we know we're negative, uh, you know, thirty thousand dollars a month, but that's okay because we're gonna convert, and we're gonna sell all the units within, you know, six months a year, so we're counting for that up front, and then the market changed, and of course, we all know conversion, you know, isn't, uh, it's just not the market for conversion right now. So, what happens is. Um, you know, you got. You, I think there's lots of people. I, I know several um, multis that that have actually gone into foreclosure and whatnot um, because of that. Because you know they they're having to continue carrying this huge amount of debt that wasn't counted for and wasn't in their their original exit strategy. So, um, absolutely, if you uh, can find them. Madeline, um, are you talk, are you talking about five units or less or six or plus? No. No, I'm talking about big multifamilies. Yeah, I, I was referring okay. fully to mine that I that that may be something I will look at doing, and and I've spoken to my partners about recently is doing it that way. But uh, no, I'm I'm talking about large multifamily. Um, I'm I'm talking about um, you know basically 20 and up. But but most of them that I've seen um, go into foreclosure and whatnot are are 100 and up. And I I am aware of a couple right now that. Um, that yeah, we could probably structure an agreement for sale on them, you know, because now, I know you, that. Uh, if you buy them on uh, agreement for sale, would you have to implement a master lease option uh, if you're then leasing them out? Um, well, if you're you're just renting them, you're just you're just renting them to tenants like yeah. you normally do on a on, no no, you wouldn't have to. You'd take control of that property and you'd be overseeing management. You'd be paying all the bills. You'd be paying the mortgage. You'd be collecting all the rents. You'd do everything. Okay. And um, okay. you know, you'd you'd have to put down a larger amount of money. I mean, you're not going to get in with, uh, you know, ten thousand dollars. You're going to be put, putting down a, a bigger amount of money. But um, you know, like for instance, I I've got a few in Edmonton um, that I know of, uh, friends of mine, that are looking to get out of them. And the problem is, is they're extremely poorly managed, right? Because they don't live in Edmonton. They live in other provinces, so they're they're not able to oversee the management. So I've got one in Calgary and a couple in Edmonton, three in Edmonton, I think. And um, yeah, that they're huge, huge opportunity to set that up. What was your name again, sorry? Mike. 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 Um, so yeah, Mike, if you want to email me about that, if you have interest in that, feel free. I can put you in touch with them, and yeah. um, you know they're willing to get creative. I know that, so it's just a matter of running the numbers and make sure it works for you, right? The only thing you don't want to do is yep. get yourself okay. in the same trouble they're in. But a lot of the problem with these buildings is is they're poorly managed because they're they're managing from afar, right? 
and you know in our market that it's hard to do that you know it's hard to find good managers right so yeah hey, thanks very much okay you're very welcome thanks Mike oh, wow can I ask you to put me in that list too <laughs> Absolutely, Eric. No Here problem. We Here we go. Tim. You're in already. <laughs> Hold a second. Tim. Mm -hmm. Tim. 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 You're on. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Hi. Hi, Tim. Hi there. Can you hear me all right? Yep. I hear you great. Hey, great. I have two questions. Okay. First of all, can you basically get an agreement for sale with the vendor and then basically if it's a really good deal, say it's a foreclosure, mark that up and then sell that agreement, sell that to another investor? Absolutely. Rather than a buyer necessarily that's a regular buyer that wants to live in that house? And you know what, that's what I specialized in, my, uh, Tim, sorry, I, I, that's ex exactly what I specialized in because I got things under contract in foreclosure, that's what I marketed, right, I, that was kind of my thing. So I went out and marketed, I brought the deals and I signed up the contracts and then I sold them to other investors. So I either sell on, it's called a simultaneous close where you're closing, which is different when you're doing an agreement for sale, you're going to have to probably sell on an assignment and, um, and so what you're doing is you're, I mean, it's a beautiful business doing that, okay, beautiful business, because you're providing to investors what they can't do on their own, and most of them don't know how to do this. So that was my specialty. What I would do is I would sign it up, get it all, you know, get it all done, signed, sealed, and delivered under contract, and then I would bring in an investor to purchase that paper from me on, on an assignment. So maybe I charge them a $10,000 fee sell them the paper and off they go. I also did a lot of simultaneous closes, but that you wouldn't be able to do with an agreement for sale. You'd, you'd more have to do an assignment with an agreement for sale. But there's more a huge like business in that. that. Yeah, that's where, that, that of, okay. that's where I made most uh, of my Okay. That's where I made most of my money. That's my first stuff. question. So the next question was how do you, um, what's your process? This might be a long, long question to answer, but how do you find uh, you know, tenant buyers to get them in, even whether they're, you know, qualified or not. I know you talk to mortgage agents and that you'd have, mm -hmm. you know, them do the qualification for you, but how do you get in touch with those people that, you know, are, can't qualify on their own typically? What's your strategy for getting those people uh, coming to you? Well, you want to advertise, right? So um, you advertise on Kijiji, um, you can advertise on for sale by owner sites, um, you know, anywhere that somebody might be looking for property, even on, uh, you know, I use, um, uh, different, uh, you know, uh, all of my um, um, my um, my rentals. I advertise on rental sites, right? Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Home Rent and Rent Foster and these ones. So I'll go on there and and I will advertise on there that you know you can rent this place or you can buy it with X amount of deposit, right? Um, on a rent to own basis. So. Yeah, just anywhere you can. You know, uh, if I'm advertising, there, there is, you, you will get some success advertising in the newspaper for rent to own. I, I never re uh, advertise in the newspaper except in Red Deer, I guess. But other than that, in general, I never advertise in the newspaper for renters. But I, but I, but I do get response for lease, uh, rent to own. You always want to use rent to own when you're advertising, um, not a lease option, because most people don't understand what that is unless you're in the business, right? But most people do understand yeah, exactly. rent to own. Yeah, they, they mostly understand rent to own. So just anywhere, you know, I just advertise it. I just shoot it out as much as I can. If, see, I, I, over the years I've built up my investor list as well. So I, you know, that's something I teach as well is how to build up your investor list so that you, you can also shoot it out to those people, right? You know, because there's investors looking for lease options too, right? Because they can't qualify, but they have cash 
in order to do it. And if you can bring somebody a deal where they don't have to put down, as investors, we have to put down 20%, go to saying, right? So if you can bring somebody a deal where they don't have to put down 20% and they don't have to qualify on a mortgage, you know, huge market for that. Huge. Okay, great. You can also Thanks advertise on, on Canada REIC. Lots of people looking on there, right? Great. <laughs> right. And they growing. Every day, right, Dar? Yeah, exactly. So. I look forward to seeing you on the 24th. Thanks Thanks. very much. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you very much. You are muted, Tim. Okay. Travis, you are on. Travis? Okay. Okay. I think my mic works. Doesn't look like Travis. Okay. Just give me, I'll give you a couple seconds to try it. No, we cannot hear you, Travis. Okay, why won't you try it and then I'll put you back. Okay, it doesn't, doesn't work. So would you like me to read it, the question? Okay, I'm going to read it. Had Madeleine, that was one, and if you have an unconditional contract and the seller decides they don't want to sell, will you play hard, hardball, and place the caveat on the title forcing them to close in that agreement for sale deal? Thank you. Depends how much equity am I getting on the deal. Um, the last thing I want to bother wasting my time and energy on is a lawsuit. So, um, you know, for me to for me to go that direction, uh, it's like anything. You know, like I, I you know, I've, I've put, um, you know, many properties under contract that were in foreclosure too, and you know that that's that's a business in itself that you know people will the next day go and put on a contract with somebody else. So, I, I always look at everything individually, um, every situation. Um, you know. I had one that I knew I was getting a lot of equity, and yeah, I forced the issue, and uh, you know, brought my lawyer in, and they eventually turned around and sold it to me, um, and I will, I will force the issue if if I'm, you know, if I stand to to gain a lot on it. But it, it's dependent on the situation, it's dependent on the people I'm dealing with, um, you know, and like I say, the last thing I want to do is move forward with a lawsuit. If, if it's a foreclosure, you're not going to have time to move forward with a lawsuit. By the time you, you, you've gone through with your lawsuit, the, the property's going to be gone anyways, and the bank will have taken it over, and so then there's no point. So it just, it really depends on the deal that I'm working on and on um, the whole situation and how much equity I'm gaining, whether or not it's worth to spend months and, and you know, and thousands of dollars on doing that or not. So normally I'd say, I'm gonna I'm gonna force the issue with my lawyer as far as I can. If I'm gaining equity and stuff on it's a good deal and I have good plans for it. Um, but I'm probably not gonna take the extra step to go into a lawsuit. Does that answer the question? Okay. Yeah, like you know, to me that it, it's wasting my energy, right? Um, in that time, I could have found another deal and wrote another deal to somebody else and made the same money. Okay, great. Really good answer. Helps me a lot. You're welcome. Okay, yeah, Odie. You're welcome. Odie, 
Hey, you are next. Please allow me to find you first. Okay, and Audi, you are online, and I would like to just mention there is a couple more questions. If you have any questions, please type it in, or we will finish very soon, okay? Audi, you are on. Hello again. Hi, Audi. Hello. Hi, Hi. I can hear so you. So I got, I, got, I got two more, three more questions, actually. So first, do you recommend doing uh, agreement for sale when the house is uh, with a realtor, if it's on the listing? Um, if you can set it up that way. Um, it's harder um, to do it through a realtor because um, many realtors won't understand what it is that you're trying to do. Okay, um, You're going to need to be working with a realtor that is creative, that's probably an investor themselves, and really understands um, how investors work and, and how you can do different things creative. They have to be able to explain that well to the people that are buying or selling the property, right? Um, the other thing is, through a realtor, you're going to be covering the realtor's fees. So, you know, it may be a higher chance of having to put a high deposit down, um, you know, if if they've hired the realtor, like the, if they've hired the realtor, it means that there's enough funds in that property for them to be able to um, um, pay the realtor, right? So regardless, you're going to have to pay the realtor. So for sure, you're going to have fifteen thousand minimum if it's a three hundred thousand dollar property that's going to go to the realtor, and then the other pe then the people might want more money on top of that. So it's it's a tougher deal for the realtors, but in saying that, it it's. Uh, it can still happen, you know. I'm selling some of my stuff on that, and I've got great realtors that I work with, you know, on different levels, and, and you know, they're investors themselves, and they, they understand totally what I'm talking about, so they can market it that way when I'm selling. Um, if I'm buying, hopefully I'm buying from a realtor that really understands how that works and can really explain the situation to the seller um, so that the seller feels comfortable in that. So it's just adding another layer, right? Um, and, and hoping that you're working with somebody that, that understands creative investing and how you can put that deal together still. So it's possible. Yep, it's possible. Okay, great. Thanks. So next question here. So uh, the tenant buyer, can the tenant, let's say I go turn around and do a lease option, um, can the tenant buyer renovate the, um, the property to increase Absolutely. the value or whatever they want with it? Oh, they can and renovate so they have it for that sure. We want oh, okay. them to do that. Yeah, we want them to do that. I mean, it's their property in the sense that they have the option to buy. So, so they have to pay for maintenance and stuff on the property too, right? So you don't, um, when you're lease optioning a property out, you are not responsible for maintenance. Now, I mean, if their furnace blew three months in, I'm going to cover that, right? But if, uh, you know, if a year in the a year in the hot water tank goes, they're responsible for for the maintenance on that property. And if they want to go in and they want to, like I, I sell houses in the States, um, and um, our, it's, it's kind of like a lease option how I sell them out. It's a little bit different. That, that's a whole other discussion. But um, it's, it's a more secure type of scenario. But yeah, I mean, these people go in, they change carpets out. They want carpets in that room or whatever. Instead of, uh, instead of linos, they go in and they change carpets and they paint it nice and they do different things. And, and yeah, it, it raises the value and it's great. So yeah, that's a major benefit. 
for sure. Okay, great. Now, uh, one last thing here. Now, so the the seller, let's say a seller who's selling it on uh, agreement for sale, do they lose control of the property? Let's say if there's any you know structural damage to it, do they? They don't. Do, does the seller? Does the seller don't have to do anything to fix that problem? Do you, um, you know, well, not does that make sense? You mean if they're if they're uh, if there's you mean if they leave the property in bad condition and they don't follow through? Is that what you're referring to, or? Uh, no. Well, let's just say. Okay, let's just. Uh, I'll just rephrase that. Do you do you recommend doing a home inspection before going into uh, agreement for sale? Yes. Um, I always do a home inspection. Um, I, you know, even if I'm selling to somebody, I'm doing a home inspection because, um, you know, sometimes. You know, I, I just I didn't always used to, guys. I didn't always used to, and I kind of learned my lesson that now the inspector I use is not some of these inspectors that they go in and they inspect a house uh, so thoroughly that you will never buy a house um, for the for your lifetime. I, I've dealt with some inspectors like that. I don't need to know all of the information. I need to deal with an inspector that understands real estate investing, and and I do. I deal with a great inspector who. Um, who will assess the tenants when he goes in for me. He'll assess, uh, you know, uh, he'll tell me that, um, you know, they keep their property up nice. <laughs> he'll tell me, um, <clears throat> you know, if there's a problem with the roof or the windows or major expense. Um, but I don't need him to go in and tell me every little tiny detail. You know, I know I'm going to have to put some money into that property usually and that sort of thing. So, um, so I guess that's my, <clears throat> you know, I do inspect. Um, mostly the reason I inspect is because <clears throat> one time I bought a property and I, I was assuming the mortgage um, without qualifying. It was, it was back in the day when you could do that. And when I did that, I didn't do an inspection, and I resold the property to someone else, okay, this lady. And um, anyways, they took some of the walls out downstairs. I was reselling it. It was all signed up. She had $5,000 deposit. Everything was good to go. You know, when you're doing that, you're counting the money before the deal's closed, you know. <laughs> so anyways, I had that. What happened was this lady, she... Um, uh, I don't know, some walls got taken out or something. I can't remember how it all happened. It was maybe six years ago or so. And um, anyways, it turned out that the property was a grow-up. And I'm not afraid of grow-ups. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it can be a very easy fix and you can make good money off them, but you have to be careful with them, right? So, I mean, there was lots of mold. So we had to get rid of the mold. So we went in there, tore out all the walls in the basement, got rid of all the mold. Well, this, this woman, she's a bit of a a crazy woman. She went to every single neighbor two blocks down and complained about us. And I mean, she just raised. Oh, it was unbelievable. And that I, I gave it back to her. I gave her money back, and I said, "Just please go." And even after I gave her money back, she went to all of the neighbors and still continued to complain. And everything was bad. So, so I learned my lesson in that. That I I never want to get myself into a situation that I don't know ahead what I'm in for. So it doesn't matter how much money I'm going to make off the deal. I want to know what the situation is up front. So yeah, I usually do an inspection, and like I said, it may not be from one of the big inspecting companies that are that are you know. Um, uh, you know, gonna gonna go through every nook and cranny and convince me not to buy. It's it's gonna be somebody that I trust their knowledge and that they are gonna go in and say, yeah, well, you know, there's this and this with it, but you know, it looks like good property to me, right? And uh, and at least I know 
that it's I'm not going to find out, or or my buyer isn't going to find out. And in saying that, I may not pay for that inspection. But what I will do is if I'm selling it to somebody, I'll say, I'd like you to get it inspected. Send your inspector over there and get them to pay for it. Ah, okay. I was, that was uh, my, my, uh, my follow-up question, if you were going to go and cover that inspection fee, but uh, you answered that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Madeline. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay. Shane, no microphone. Sorry. So there's a couple questions from Shane. There is and then Don and Rob and Carl. And that's it. Okay. So okay. it is easy to find financing on rent-to-own options. And are most institutions and CMHC on-site with the lease options? So simply saying, how easy is to finance the rent lease-to-own deals? Um, I'm, this is from Shane? Shane, it? yes. Shane, okay. Shane, I, I'm assuming that you're meaning eventually when the, when the tenants are going to qualify. That's what I'm, I'm assuming that you're meaning. So if I'm, if I'm incorrect in that, please um, yes. send Yarek a message. He said yes? Okay, good. Okay, so um, you know what? It's, it's, it's fine. And the reason that it's fine is because you have to structure your lease option proper in the beginning. If you don't structure your lease option proper, it won't be fine. Um, this is a whole discussion, and I teach a couple classes on this, but I'll give you the, the, the quick response on it, is if you've got um, a lease option tenant that you're selling to, and they go in there and they put down, say, a $10,000 uh, deposit. So they put down 10000 How I structure mine is you know, maybe they, they're paying, um, say, $1,500 a month, and then anything over and above, so that's rent. That's rent, okay? The deposit's 10. The rent is 1,500. I will often give them the option to, if they bump up that payment, I will double it off the purchase price of the property, okay? You cannot say I'll double it as your deposit. So in other words, if they've got 1,500 and then they've got 200, say they've got $200 over and above the 1,500, okay, that they're paying per month. Okay, that's towards their deposit. So over two years, they're going to put down another $4,800. So instead of 10, they've got another 4,800, so they're 14, eight. Um, I, I, to encourage them to do that, because cash is king, guys. Get the cash up front if you can. There's a strong possibility these people are never going to close, okay? So if they don't close, you want to get cash up front, okay, in cash flow. So to make this all worth your while, right? So they're paying 200 additional. I'm agreeing to double that. Say I'm selling the property to them for 300,000. Okay, so over the life of the two years before they qualify, they've got um, 4,800 extra that they're paying, which means I'm going to take 4,800 off the purchase price. I'm not saying that I'm going to double their deposit of 4,800 and make it, well, would that be 96? I'm not doing that. Okay, you're not allowed to do that. The other thing you have to do is you have to set it up with two separate checks. So you've got one check for rent, $1,500, and $200 check per month going in as a deposit. It has to be set up that way. If you do not do two separate checks and you only do it in one check, so it give you a check every month for $1,700, the bank will not count that as deposit money. So it's, it's things like this that you need to know up front. If you do it up front, I have not had a problem 
with the bank qualifying, if they can qualify, I mean they're qualifying, right, on a new mortgage, so they're qualifying the mortgage if they qualify, and I, and then I show the bank that, um, yes, they paid me 10000 plus 4800 in additional checks throughout the year, so they've got 14800 and as long as that's enough of a deposit, you're good to go. You know, there shouldn't be a problem with that. Okay, did that answer that However question? Qualify. Okay. Okay, Shane. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, there is a follow. There is follow-up question with from Shane, and okay. if you don't mind, I will answer that because both of us we were on Mr. Naftaj's presentation, right, about RSP, right? Okay. You remember that. So the question is exactly what we covered already before. How do you use RSP money for the initial down payment lease option money, right? So Shane. Uh, you, you can go to the CanadaREIC.com, you go to group seminars, and there is a webinar, a seminar, which was covered by Mr. Naftar Chanhok from pre-Canada, Hidden Profits in RSP, and how let the taxman pay your down payment. So that will answer your question in and out, okay? Perfect. So that's, that's the answer for following this question. Great. Uh, Shane, okay. What if the homeowner dies and you are doing a sandwich lease option that you sold to a tenant buyer? What happens if the estate tries to sell the home on you? Hmm. Uh, okay, well, see, there, there's a good example where if it's under an agreement for sale, I mean, you're going to have all your contracts in place, right? So, I mean, the lawyers are going to get involved and it's going to get a little bit stickier, but under agreement for sale, you have full rights to that property and, and you're able to sign on behalf of that property. So you're going to be a, have a lot stronger position than you are on a lease option. Um, in saying that, you put a deposit down, you're making your payments, you bring your lawyer in and your lawyer would have to go to town for you on that. I've never ever had that situation. So I, I have had people where I had their properties under contract and they, they passed, but um, a different situation. It wasn't closed yet, so um, that would be what I'd say. Hopefully that helps. That's kind of a lawyer question, I guess, more so than myself. Okay, just Shane mentioned that he's just curious, right? So. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Good question. Okay, so Don, uh, I, I don't see your confirmations if you have a microphone. Shane saying thank you very much for information. Don. Thank you. Do you have a microphone? Okay, I will wait for answer from Don and Mr. Rob. Uh, sorry, no mic. Hmm, go figure. And that's a very similar questions to the previous questions, but we would like to answer. Uh, okay. What conditions do you put on your agreement for sale? Uh, conditions that I put on my agreement for sale? Um, well, I'll, I'll put, you're saying in order to tie it up for a certain amount of time while I look for another buyer. I'm assuming that's what you mean. So in other words, if I, I've got a condition period, and during that condition period I'm tying it up, say, for three weeks, and, um, and I'm, I'm trying to hold it over while I find, say, a, a, a lease option buyer or something like that. Um, the conditions that I would put on there, number one, I always, always will put on uh, subject to lawyer's approval. Um, always. Okay. Um, 
you sometimes can't get away with that so much if you're buying something off the MLS, but you sure can when you're buying something, you know, from somebody in foreclosure or, or somebody that's having a hard time selling their property or, or FISBO, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so I put that on. I put inspection on. Um, if they ask you, well, what do you need? Because you're not, you're not, I understand why you're asking that question because you're not putting financing on there, right? But um, if they ask you, well, what do you need to tie up my property for for three weeks? This is what you say. I'm not sure. I, I work with joint venture partners. I'm not sure which partner I'm bringing into the deal yet, and I have to analyze the numbers and everything, make sure everything's going to work and, and decide which partner I'm bringing in, um, have my lawyer take a look at it, make sure we can make it work. So I need a bit of time. That's it. Perfect. Okay. So Don is asking, and he's, he doesn't have the mic, so that will be a okay. Rob. Uh, perfect. Thank you. That's for previous okay. question. Great. The, okay. So that question is dedicated again to me. So when is the next training after February 24th? I'm out of the country from February 21st to March 17th. Dom, it's very simple. We running our seminars. That's not the training. The seminars, networking seminars, educational seminars, and we are running every last Thursday of each month. Additionally to that, we are trying to get, we are getting into that kind of mindset that every Thursday is a webinar online, and we're trying to achieve that goal. And when you will be participating in the Serious VIP membership, we will be holding those events on Tuesdays, more likely second and the fourth Tuesday of each month. Okay? Now, Carl, Great. Carl just let me find you, Carl. You have to well, know well alphabet. Carl, are you there? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can Hello? hear you, Carl. Okay, perfect. Okay, I have two questions, Madeline. Um, okay. The first one, you said the similarities between the two uh, lease option and AFS is that you eventually do have to qualify, or mm -hmm. did I get that wrong? Yes, you like do. You didn't have to qualify if you were doing a green first sale. Well, I mean, the plan is that you're going to eventually have to qualify. There is opportunity that if you do a, a power of attorney up front and you structure it into your um, initial um, agreement, like your, your initial contract, that you may be able to renew the mortgage when it comes time to renew. But there's no guarantees with okay. that, right? So you may right. be able to renew it, and if you can, great, maybe you can renew for another five-year term, and, that, and then that's great, right? Maybe you're only planning on holding for five years, and you never, ever have to qualify on a mortgage. So there is right. opportunity for you to do that. But, you know, uh, in general, a lot of times people are having to qualify, you know, within that three-year period, and a lot of times people don't know to structure that up front and to do the power of attorney and everything up front so that they're, they're preparing for that when that event comes, right? Yes. If you do, okay. but you may you may never have to qualify if uh, you know depending on on how that all goes. But all right. it's, you don't know until the time. Right. Okay. My second question is: um, Say that you bought under agreement for sale and you wanted to do a lease option on it. Yes. Um, but the original mortgage they have uh, like early payout penalty. Okay. So 
Because right? I've had I've talked to some people, and that was one of their main issues when they were selling is they didn't want to pay for that. Okay, um, you got to. Yeah, so what you're saying then is if um, you buy it on an agreement for sale, there's an early payout penalty, you do a lease option uh, to sell it on a lease option, and these people pay you out early. So they pay yeah, you yeah. out in a year, and there's two years left on the mortgage, and or that sort of thing. You've right. got to structure that. You're going to know that, right? You're going to know that there's a certain payout penalty. It depends. You know, what I would do is I would find out in advance, okay, um, what would happen if this was a situation, where does it stand, approximately get an idea, right, on, on where your payout penalty would be. Of course, okay. it's contingent on, on where the mortgage, on where the interest rate goes over that period of time. But um, I would normally have something in my contract that states that if they buy out early, they need to pay, cover the, the um, payout penalty on my mortgage. Okay, and how often does that happen in your experience? They, Not uh, very yeah, often. Really? They they usually need a couple of years to yeah. to really you know put it into play, right? You know, yeah, so you're awesome. you're usually okay with that. Um, but yeah, I'd put that in. And actually, it does say it in in my contract. Now, see, so in my agreement for sale contract, if I'm buying, if I'm buying on the agreement for sale contract, okay. my contract does not say anything about that. Chances are I'm going to pay it anyways if I'm paying it out early or something. I'm going to pay it out anyways if these people are in foreclosure and they have, you know, they're long gone. But at least it gives me the option to not have to do that. Um, but if I'm selling on agreement for sale, I'm making darn sure that those clauses are, are written in that contract. And your lawyer, they're written in my contracts already, but your lawyer, you will also, you'll never finalize any of these contracts, I hope, without putting them to your lawyer first. Just to have them review, make sure you're not forgetting anything, right? Yeah. you know, and do it that way. It may be beneficial to you. I mean, they may come to you in, in a year. You just kind of take it as it is, as long as it's in your contract and you're covered. They may come to you in a year and say, okay, we're, we're you know, we can qualify, we're ready to buy out, and it's worth it to you for them to do that. It's beneficial for you. Um, you may look at and find out at the time, okay, it's going to be a $2,000 payout penalty. You're going to go to them and say, look, there's a $2,000 penalty. I'll split it with you to get the deal done or whatever, right? So I kind of look at things individually um, mm -hmm. at the time and see where it's at and see, you know, what's beneficial, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to uh, talking about this more on the 28th. Awesome. Glad you could be there. 24th. Great. 24th. 24th. Okay. 24th, yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't want you to show up on the wrong night. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You've muted Cal, Cal and Debbie. Just allow me to unmute you. Debbie, you're on. Hi. Debbie? Hi, Natalie. Yeah, I'm back. Hi. Hi, Debbie. How are Hi. you? Oh, good. Thanks. Good. One more question. Are the AFS contracts legal in all four prairie provinces? Um, okay, this I would look at that as another lawyer question. Um, I do oh. teach people from um, BC and, and uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan and um, haven't heard of any problems. I always, like, like I said, ask them to go to their lawyer to, to double check things before they move forward on anything. Um, but I haven't heard of any issues. Um, there are things in BC of transfer taxes and stuff like that that you have to find out about. Um, so it just depends. I don't believe there's transfer taxes in Saskatchewan. Uh, where are you located, Debbie? Are you in Alberta? You're in Alberta. Okay. You'll have no problems in Alberta. 
um, with the contracts that I'm using and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I think it's best um, you sign it up and you take it to your lawyer or talk to your lawyer in advance. You know, like uh, usually when I'm teaching, if if I'm teaching anybody from other provinces, I'll say, okay, this is. I'll teach a class and I'll say, please call your lawyer up just to double check that it's the same for you as it is in Alberta. Sure, that's always a good idea, even if the laws tend to change in your government. Well, yeah, and you know what? I um, it's also very important when you're when you're getting a lawyer, and you know, like I mean, I I give out all of my contacts and stuff to my students, and so they have all of that. But if uh, if you know they're looking for a lawyer, I'm also saying, okay, you know, we got to find you a lawyer that that understands this stuff because there's there's some lawyers that that work with the creative stuff more than others, right? So um, you need somebody that really understands it and is really going to go to town for you and, and, and make it happen for you when you're doing these more creative deals, right? So Absolutely. Kind of an important thing as well. Oh, thank you. Good. Thank you. Hey, Debbie, you're muted. Uh, just follow up uh, answer from Don. And, okay. Uh, no transfer tax in Saskatoon. My lawyer had to oh. make the agreement Saskatoon compliant. So uh, here Perfect. is the answer. So excellent. We learn every. Might be, might be Don, my student Don. Is that is is that who it is? Don, both he's done my course now, but um, <laughs> I, th I think that might be the Don because I had a Don out of Saskatchewan. So <laughs> yes, here we go. That's it's, that's right. Awesome. Thanks, Don. I I thought you'd be on tonight. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for showing up. So, Madeleine, would you mind just explaining what exactly you've been doing and what kind of benefits our club members can have it by knowing you and working Absolutely. with you? Absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, I'd, I'd like to thank you guys for staying on so long because I, I know these these things kind of carry on for a long time, and I, I see that almost everybody has stayed on for this whole time, and we've been on for an hour and 45, so I really appreciate that. I know you're time is very valuable um, just straight smart real estate investing welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing no more expensive courses no more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing take action just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.